0: As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
1: It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keane, along with Paul Sweeney. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. You can also watch the show live on YouTube. Visit the Bloomberg Podcast channel on YouTube to see the show weekday mornings from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern from our global headquarters in New York City. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. And always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Definitive on our international relations, Ian Bremmer. He is with Eurasia Group. His top risks every year are beyond sobering. One, because they make you think. And two, he's really right a fair amount of the time. Ian Bremmer, should we be stressed that this is a different Republican Party? Than the republican party of young john bolton with ronald reagan
3: um, i'm not sure that that by itself is what drives my concern uh, i think uh the fact that trump owns the republican party and so as a consequence um he can put a thumb on the scale um on major foreign policy issues that's a pretty big deal uh but also just generally uh the the illegitimacy in perception of U.S. institutions the executive the judiciary um the the Congress but also the public Mm -hmm. school system the church I mean the media when you look at how Americans feel about their institutions over the last 20 30 years it's just been getting worse and worse and worse And, and and that to me is the structural underpinning here.
2: The getting worse and worse and worse seems to be the heart of the matter what anybody's politics is. Governor Haley cited out the statistics mm-hmm. showing the, the poll tilt. Ian Bremmer, who is, forget about Spiro Agno, who is the American silent majority? Um, I, I think they're people that feel like their leaders have left them. Uh,
3: they're people that no longer believe in the American dream. Uh, when you and I were kids, the United States had the greatest class mobility of any of the OECD nations. Today, it has the least. Um, and no matter how optimistic and individualistic you might be as a nation, uh, eventually you get hit face hit in the face enough, and and you change your view. Uh, and and I think that that's a big piece of. Uh, I mean, the U.S. still has incredible wealth and and has all of this entrepreneurship. Uh, and you'd rather be at the United States than any other country in the world in the aggregate. But uh, people don't live in the aggregate.
0: Um, and uh, and that's that's what we're experiencing. So, Ian, I, I'd love to get your views on how perhaps the U.S. is viewed by, I don't know, our allies, our foes. I mean, it seems like it's been an up and down, whether, you know, with the Trump administration, their policy for uh, NATO and just kind of foreign policy versus Biden trying to maybe get back to normalcy. How do you think our, our the folks outside the U.S. view us? Uh, incredibly
3: inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not not a country that you can as easily count on, um, and therefore a lot of hedging behavior going on. Even though um, there aren't necessarily any good options. Uh, look, I, I mean, I I take the point uh, that uh, that that we should not be blackmailing our allies. Uh, to pay, or else we won't defend them. But on the other side of that argument, uh, what what are we? If if for decades they refuse to actually make good on their defense commitments, should there be no consequences at all? Because that that, that appears to be the ex ante position, and and that's not okay either. Right? That it's true that if if Trump tells you we won't defend you, we'd like Russia to attack you if you don't pay your two percent into gdp of defense if you're not doing an adequate job defending yourself that 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 undermines nato and we've heard that from the secretary general but it's also true that if canada and germany and france and italy and spain i mean the biggest economies all consistently refuse to invest in their own defense that also emboldens putin right that emboldens putin too so how, how, how is it that neither, n- none of our leaders seem to get it right? We just bounce back and forth between these populist extremes um, and, uh, and don't think long term about what
0: makes for a strong alliance. So what do you believe is the realistic future of NATO? And because, boy, that is front and center now with what's going on in, in Ukraine. Uh, I think that peak NATO was last year. Okay.
3: Uh, Putin made a huge mistake. You should never, never, ever interrupt your adversary when they're right. screwing up. <laughs> and NATO was getting more divided and becoming less relevant for many years. The Europeans just were, I wouldn't say they were giving up on it, but they were certainly taking advantage of it. And uh, and, and that led to a, a backlash uh, uh, that you saw reflected with Trump's America First. And, and then Putin did the stupidest possible thing he made NATO as desirable and relevant as humanly possible by trying to overthrow Zelensky and sends his troops right. storming toward Kiev. Um, and not only did that make the Germans start spending money on their defense. Um, But it also expanded NATO, made the Finns, made the Swedes want to join, um, made everybody uh, realize that NATO was an indispensable alliance. Unfortunately, Putin understands that he cares a lot more about this issue than anybody else does, um, and he's willing to wait everybody out. And and that now appears to be working in his favor after two years of it not.
2: Ian Bremer one of my favorite people is a hockey player from Finland named Alex Stubb. He's young, he's vigorous, I'm not sure the politics in a closely contested Finnish election. Explain to our American audience the importance of Finland and that heritage with Russia.
3: Well, uh, it does have, uh, have now of all of our NATO allies, uh, the longest border uh, with, with Russia. Uh, and uh, while well, they had had a uh, comparatively independent policy and were very unwilling, very controversial to join NATO. That flipped the entire population overnight Mm -hmm. when the Russians invaded Ukraine uh, in February 2022. Uh, Interestingly, uh, that wasn't the position, despite the invasion uh, in southeast Ukraine with the Little Green Men and the illegal annexation of Crimea, but all of the tanks after the denials, the the, the, the bald-faced right. lies from Putin um, to the Germans, the French, the Americans over the months, and then willing to try to engage in full regime change of a country of over 50 million people, um, that uh, that proved enough. And and Stubb, who's a, a good friend, I've known him for a long time, uh, I mean, he is a, a very, very staunch opponent of right. Mr. Putin. Um, and uh, and and there's no question uh, right. that, uh, that 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 the 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 election was not determined by how how you view NATO or Russia. Right. In fact, uh, both of the both of the opponents uh, of each other were were very consistent in terms of policy. There's very different personalities, but there uh, there wasn't a lot of substance in this uh, right. in this in this election. There
2: is substance in Jakarta. It is on the other side, as Patrick O'Brien said, the far side of the world. You feature. The Indonesian election. Brief us quickly on that, Dr. Bremer.
3: Uh, on, it's another large country uh, after India. You know, big democracy. Uh, no one questioning uh, the uh, the legitimacy of the process. Joko, uh, the, the existing president, has been quite popular, and his preferred successor, Mr. Prabowo, a former military general. Uh, is likely to win, though probably not in the first round. And his vice presidential running mate is Jokowi, the president, his son. So, I mean, definitely uh, will be more state enterprise oriented, Uh, will probably be a little more populist in policy, but very consistent in international orientation, including very good relations with the U.S. and Japan.
0: Ian, uh, rightfully so, uh, most folks' attention is focused on Ukraine, is focused on the Middle East. But of course, we can't forget about what's happening with China, with Taiwan, that whole part of the world. H- how do you view China's view of the world over the next year or two? Uh, they, their
3: geopolitical position has been uh, really undermined uh, by uh, an economy that's not doing well, um, and then an overly assertive uh, sort of political footprint. And so you look at, I mean, of course, India uh, has a much, much stronger relationship with the US and much more contentious uh, and combative engagement with the Chinese, including over their contested border. The Quad um, has been a strong effort of US architecture building that is a counterbalance to China's belt and road. You've got the South Korea japan breakthrough probably the most important diplomatic success that biden has had over his three plus years also problematic for the chinese um we just mentioned indonesia their tilt but also the philippines now offering the u.s eight military bases um, after what had been a closer policy with china if you're china going forward right now the the part of the reason for this charm offensive it's not just that the economy is going badly It's that they recognize that they've bitten off more than they can chew, and they they need countries to not feel like China's a big, bad boogeyman in their backyard. So uh, this this has been a better managed policy by the Americans than
0: what we're seeing right now in Ukraine and what we're seeing right now in Gaza. All right. So uh, I guess uh, let's just start with Ukraine. Where do we go from here? I mean, we're getting into year three here, and I think both sides are probably getting a little tired. Ah, uh, the Russians
3: are much are 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 waiting them out. Uh, I, I would say the troops are tired, but but Putin feels emboldened, uh, and and you saw that with his two hours plus a uh, history lesson with Tucker Carlson a few days ago. Should Tucker
2: Carlson uh, have done that interview?
3: Uh, uh, someone should have done that interview, but I mean, yeah. I'd rather it be a real journalist. You know, I mean, Tucker is not that, uh, and the fact that he is a fabulist, um, who you know sort of supports uh Putin's position has been publicly sympathetic right. to it I don't think does this any favors right. but but it's useful for the Americans to hear directly from right. Putin uh what he has to say I didn't mind the fact that the interview happened I I do think that uh, the ability of the United States the willingness to continue to provide military support is utterly essential um for uh the right Ukrainians so. to hold their defensive lines that's getting a lot harder to count on going right. forward and and we could easily see ukraine start falling apart
2: dr bremer i got 90 seconds and and this has just been fabulous to go from governor haley to dr bolton to ian bremer is the way to do this folks Ian bremer there seems to be a new pacific rim after the tpp blow up and everybody anti-china and all that and that is a projection of the united states across four military bases not up to taiwan but across the arc of the western philippines right now you got marco and duterte going at it again people talk in manila about a coup are we more in the pacific rim than we were two three years ago is there a new u.s projection
3: there's there's no coup uh coming this is uh former president duterte uh losing influence and lashing out as a consequence but the United States remains the only country in the world that can project its military power globally, and China's a regional power uh, militarily, uh, and their economy is not doing so well right now, And, and that makes the U.S. much more relevant for every country who's in Asia who may have China as their lead trade partner but doesn't want to become a supplicant from Beijing.
2: It is a G. Bremer world. That's a new yes. phrase I'm calling. Not G-Zero, <laughs> right. G. Bremer. We'll get a new book out of him at some point here. Ian Bremer, <laughs> just fabulous. And Thank you, Dr. Bremer, for the top risks awesome. from Eurasia Group that we see.
0: Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
1: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg.
2: We continue strong with another former UN ambassador. He is John Bolton, of course, United States National Security Advisor uh, with the Trump uh, administration, a critic of President Trump and Ambassador Bolton joins us this morning. Ambassador Bolton, you wrote an essay in the FT a year or so ago, what happened to the party of your Ronald Reagan? Is Nikki Haley the last Ronald Reagan acolyte standing?
4: Well, she's the last one still running for the presidential nomination, but but I think the party uh, at at its roots is still Reaganite. I think uh, uh, Trump is an aberration. Obviously, he's uh, uh, been able to capture a significant part of the party, but I, I think uh, that you know one one day he will pass, hopefully without doing too much more damage, and and uh, we can right. get back to where we should be. His comments about NATO and allowing Russia to, to attack. Uh, countries not spending enough on their defense uh, really ought to be a wake-up call.
2: Yeah, my, our Paul Sweeney emailed me uh, this weekend mm-hmm. and he said get Stravitas. And of course to get James Stravitas, the Supreme Commander of NATO, would be lovely. We don't have him today, folks. But we do have John Bolton. What are the ramifications to Europe, to Alex Stubb winning that election in Finland? What's the ramifications to Europe if we get a Trump foreign policy?
4: Well, it would be disastrous. It would be disastrous for the United States, but it would be worse for Europe. Uh, You know, the Europeans can talk about an EU-style defense all they want. Really, they're going to be led by Germany and France. You know, good good luck with that. The the problem is, in the United States, for too long, political leaders have failed to make the case that we're in alliances like NATO and bilateral alliances with Japan and South Korea— uh, around the world, not out as an act of charity. We're just not being nice to the Europeans by being in NATO. We're protecting vital American interests. We're protecting European interests, too, but we're doing it for ourselves primarily. Uh, and the Europeans have uh, uh, not done what they should have done in terms of uh, their own defense expenditures. You know, maybe this will be a further wake-up call to uh, to increase, but nobody should be under uh, operate under any illusions here. Trump is not trying to strengthen... NATO. Trump is beginning the case, uh, if he's elected, why he's going to withdraw from NATO.
0: And Ambassador Bolton, um, I mean, obviously front lines there in today's news is just, you know, Ukraine, Russia. What is your latest thinking on how this is developing here and continues to develop in, I guess, the second year?
4: Well, I think uh, Putin taking advantage of his uh, conversation with tucker carlson made it plain he's ready to negotiate and i've i've been worried about that for a long time i think biden wants to put the wars that are going on now behind him for purposes of uh, the november election he's in deep deep trouble uh and 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 stopping the war in ukraine i think he will see to his political advantage unfortunately uh and there are plenty of countries in europe that would like to turn the page on russia's invasion in 2022 and before that in 2014 and go back to business as usual so i think putin is playing to a weakness in the western alliance here transatlantically to get a ceasefire
2: john bolton just because of time here i have to turn to the eastern mediterranean and over the weekend the entire zeitgeist to me of democrats of those uncommitted of republicans has been wither netanyahu do we intrude on domestic Israeli politics, or is that something distant and remote that the Israelis have to solve?
4: Well, look, I, I agree with Netanyahu's view that he, he should he should be allowed to pursue the objective of destroying Hamas. He calls it total victory, and in World War II, Franklin Roosevelt uh, set the terms for Germany and, and uh, Japan to end. Uh, World War II is unconditional surrender. Given the October 7 attack, why isn't Israel entitled to do that? I tell you, if Biden breaks with Netanyahu, he can kiss the 2024 election goodbye.
0: So, I mean, to what end, uh, Ambassador, do you think that Netanyahu and the Israeli objectives, which a lot of folks feel like, I'm not even sure how you even measure whether they're achieved. How can you destroy a terrorist organization from your perspective, what would you recommend to Mr. Netanyahu?
4: Well, h- how did we destroy Nazism in Germany? We killed an awful lot of Nazis. You're not going to kill everyone. Uh, and it's true, you don't kill the idea. But if enough of its adherents are killed and the Israelis claim they've destroyed eight out of the 12 right. Hamas fighting battalions, uh, you can go a long way toward that goal.
2: But I think, John Bolton, this is so, so important. There's a huge body of Americans, including Democrats, who do not agree that we should support Mr. Netanyahu. Given that American domestic tension, how do we prosecute a foreign policy in the eastern Mediterranean?
4: By by having leaders who can articulate the reasons why it's of uh, an American interest, That these terrorists be defeated. This is not an Israeli war against Hamas. This is not an Arab Israeli war. This is an Iranian war against Israel through its terrorist proxies. They are aiming to destroy the little Satan Israel. They're aiming to gain hegemony in the Middle East as a whole over the Sunni Arab, uh, their Sunni Arab adversaries. And ultimately, their sights are in the great Satan, and we're sitting in it.
2: John, thank you. Ambassador Bolton. Priya Misra joins us now with J.P. Morgan. She's a portfolio manager, which barely describes her arch call, which is lower rates and particularly the inflation adjusted yield. It's a residual. You take the nominal yield, you subtract some measurement of inflation. Only Bob Michael knows that measure, it's a secret sauce. And you end up with a residual, which is the real uh, yield. Priya Misra, you suggest the real yield will Plunge lower. What will be the catalyst?
5: So I think um, the catalyst is either the economy slowing down much more than what's priced in, or the Fed. Now some combination of the two, or the Fed that's actually trying to lower rates to um, you know keep that soft landing alive. I mean I think the big debate is what is neutral interest rate, uh, real interest rate, R star, what economists call R star the fed thinks it's 50 basis points there's some debate um you know president kashkari suggested maybe it's a little higher maybe it's 1% and 10 year real rates and i would look at the 10 year part of the curve that you know most of us borrow households corporates borrow right. in that 5 to 10 year part of the curve it's running close to 2% so i would think as uh, inflation comes down the fed gets more confidence, as as Jeff right. Howell said, that they can start to normalize, those real rates start to come down, and at least they can get to 1%, which is, I think, closer to neutral.
2: The gentleman from Yale, Edgar Denny, suggests productivity started in 2005. Paul Sweeney pointed out to me there was a giant pause during COVID of our more productive, more efficient America. And then we've reinvigorated productivity here. Priya Misra, does a new American productivity that Michael Feroli and Bruce Kasman see, does that change your call on interest
5: rates? So I think that would be, it would go back to what is real uh, equilibrium interest rates. And I think the Fed's been in the zero to 50 basis point range. If there is an increase in productivity, maybe that gets us closer to 1%. But here's the offset to productivity. You know, there's a lot of talk about, about generative AI and technology and how that's impo- improving and Paul productivity. Won't stop talking. It about takes a while for that to get adopted <laughs> within the business sector, within the labor market. It takes a while. So I would say it's not clear to us that we're there yet. Secondly, we've got demographics that go the other way. We have an aging population. And so I would say it's productivity and demographics or and population growth that would imply, you know, that, that, that would have uh, implications for real neutral rate. And, uh, you know, at least the demographic side is going the other way. So maybe there's a move a little bit higher and that's why I'm arguing it could be as high as 1% real rate. But I struggle to see much higher than that, given how much, uh, you know, time it takes and the fact that demographics are going the other way.
0: All right, Priya, we're going to have uh, the question, I think, for the marketplace right now is, what is the Fed going to do? Not so much what are they going to do, but when are they going to do it in terms of maybe pulling back on rates? And obviously, the Fed was pretty consistent with their language that it's not going to be in March. Uh, Now there's some question in the marketplace, will they cut in May or perhaps wait to June? What do you think they will do? What do you think that maybe they should do?
5: So, I like that question because we have to constantly think about what they should do, which is driving the economic outlook and asset prices, and then what we think they will do. I think in terms of they want more confidence, which is why they took March off the table. I think they want to see at least three, four months of inflation. We have another inflation report this week that inflation is continuing to come down and not just the headline number, I think, or core. I think they want to see that the service side of the inflation picture is heading lower. Because the goods side has done its bit. Goods inflation is in negative territory. Yep. We're in deflation. I think they want to see that service inflation continuing to come down. You know, May or June, I think it's somewhere in that time frame that we think they'll cut. What they should be doing, I think they should be starting to normalize right here. I mean, the earlier conversation where we we're talking about what is neutral, Fed funds is at five and a half. So... You know, even if our star is higher and neutral rate is closer to 3%, we're really far from 3%. So I would have said start early, then you can go gradual, you can figure out where that neutral rate is. But realistically, March, May, June, what's a few months between friends? I think uh, (laughs) they're likely to start to cut rates sometime in the first half or early in the second half of this year.
0: Well, you're right. The the goods inflation, is, that that's a thing of the past for most people. But boy, the services side, I mean, we have the consumer pretty strong here. The consumer has a job. The consumer's wages are going up. The consumer is spending. Maybe they're putting a little bit more on the credit card, but the consumer seems in pretty good stead right now. How do you see that?
5: So I think the economic data has been very strong and you know that explains why we've had this scenario of risk assets doing extremely well the markets pricing in the soft landing and I think rightly so for now. I'm a little more cautious because I think it's a fragile soft landing. It requires inflation to continue to decline. It requires the Fed to start to normalize policy for the soft landing to last. So I'm a little nervous further down uh, for the consumer. But to your point on inflation, I think um, rent inflation or housing inflation is a big component of that service inflation that is heading lower. I mean, we've seen new rents starting to not come down, but the rate of increase of new rents is absolutely slowing down. And so I think that housing inflation, the trend is clear, it's going to come down. To your point, the consumer is strong, but some of that is also, um, you know, service inflation is not rising at the same rate. So I think what the Fed is likely to do is not wait for 2% on service inflation, but if the trend looks like it's heading closer to 2%, especially with goods in deflation, they can start to get that confidence yeah, to at least start the normalization
2: process. I can't stand, Priya, the phrase soft landing. I just think it's like V-shaped <laughs> bottom and, a, and the, the rest of it. Let's start with a guy named M. Feroli. You've got to put up with his literature every single day as a portfolio manager. Michael Feroli, Priya, codified under 2% potential GDP. Is our new definition struggle with soft landing? that because of technology, because of productivity, we need to lift the ferroli 1.x percent potential GDP up? I mean, is that really what we're talking about?
5: I think if productivity is sustained higher, and this is not just still residual impacts of the reopening or the fact that we lived through COVID, I think it's still early. I would also say a lot of the data we're seeing in the last two months can be distorted by seasonal seasons are always difficult to make sense of the december numbers and then the january numbers weather effects i think we need a little bit more data to have confidence that productivity is higher that that potential gdp is higher but then to your point how does that feed into soft landing soft landing implies below potential growth so if growth is one and a half or two percent and inflation is a little over two percent that would be a soft landing i think the reason this is so important is does the fed take cuts off the table. I think right. that has to be a reacceleration. We have to be seeing growth 3 4%. Inflation progress stalling. That's when those cuts start to get taken out. And I think we're far from that. We think mo- uh, monetary policy is still restrictive. We don't see fiscal easing, at least till the election. Right. And so it's a question of when do they start to normalize? What's the pace? Right. Um, but we're keeping an eye out for kind of your point. What is potential growth? And right. you know, I- is that still?
2: That's almost a terminal value of the discussion here. Priya thank you so much. And I can't say enough about a careful read of the J.P. Morgan Combine on research with Joyce Chang and Bruce Kasman have done over there. It's just absolutely extraordinary.
0: Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
2: Today's front page headlines: Super Bowl affected. Lisa, I'm sorry you're not at the Fontainebleau Hotel. (laughs) Stuck with us. We failed.
6: (laughs) My kids might have a snow day tomorrow. I don't know. (laughs) What do you got? All right, so we're starting with, of course, Super Bowl. Right? Super Bowl commercials. That's what we're talking about. It's across all the headlines, right? Marketers, they didn't want to offend anyone, and so they stayed kind of safe. They use a lot of humor, not controversial humor. You had a couple of newcomers in there. You had Etsy, PepsiCo's, um, Starry was in there. Celebrities everywhere. Arnold Schwarzenegger was there. His commercial was mm-hmm. hilarious. Yep. Um, trying to say neighbor, but he yeah. kept saying State Farm on neighbor, and they, they kept joking mm. on him. Tom Brady was everywhere, yep. right? Um, they leaned on the female audience. They had Dove, Elf Cosmetics. But the New York Times ranked a couple of them. I want to play a commercial from Duncan. This is when Ben Affleck visits Jennifer Lopez at the recording studio. Usher was another one, his halftime performance. Everybody was talking about that too. Think about it. 30 years of his career, right? He's 45 years old. He was dancing and moving across the but stage. But to, to be quickly he here, because we
2: got to go on to the others, but I'm going to be able to see all these on YouTube, right?
6: Uh, yeah. Yes, you can. Yeah, cool. you can see all yeah, these. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, most definitely. Do. I'm all I like
2: YouTube highlights. That's become of my course. whole life.
6: Next. you got to do it. you got to do Usher, it. All
0: right, so the Usher Halftime Show, it got, like from people who know this stuff, yeah. got thumbs up. Yes. Definitely thumbs up.
6: But it, yeah, I know you're getting to a point. Get to it. <laughs> no, no, no. Just, I, no thought was, I thought it's it was good. Tr- I, think it, I thought it was good too, but for people who it didn't kind of tap on there Right. you know he kind of said everybody sing along and some people weren't singing cuz they didn't know and yeah. it was awkward a little yeah. bit tired. I'm
0: not the Usher demo but <laughs> right. I recognized that it was an event and it was people were fired up about yeah, it Yeah and it okay. just it
6: ended great Will I Am Lil John I mean you yeah. you can't Alicia ludicrous. Keys was there Alicia Keys wow. her I mean it was it was just he had a lot of people along with the right
0: piano okay
6: yes. Um next story I did this because both of you are romantic sure. right sure.
0: So, <laughs> so you can
2: see where so, that got us I know, you know here we go <laughs> for, for, (laughs) 14th is pitchers and catchers. Oh (laughs) no.
6: This is about Valentine's Day. This study from McAfee. It says that AI is going to be playing a part in these love letters for Valentine's Day. 40% 40% of adults are at least considering and using AI to come up with these love letters for Valentine's Day. But when it comes to men, that number rises to 45%.
0: 45% of men will turn to AI to yes. write love messages this Valentine's Day. I mean, they're doing it just to get their stock up. That's a, <laughs> It's like every other... Company, a piece of news. but the bonus
6: points in there. Happy right. wife, happy life. That's right. GPT. that's right.
0: What's today? Today's the 12th. oh, we got to get on this. Thing
6: oh, you got one more, is that, is that, that it? it? That's, that's, that's it. it.
2: This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast, bringing you the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. You can also watch the show live on YouTube. Visit the Bloomberg Podcast channel on YouTube to see the show weekday mornings from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern from our global headquarters in New York City. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. And always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App.